Hello, everyone. This is Diana Chapman. I am here with my co-founder of the Conscious Leadership Group, Jim Dethmer. Hi, Jim. Hey, Diana. Jim and I are very excited today to interview Justin Rosenstein, who is the co-founder of Asana. And welcome, Justin. Hi, Diana. Justin, we usually start these interviews out by just asking you to describe yourself a little bit of who are you and let whatever response comes, come. <laughs> uh, I am a human being, or at least taking that form for the time being. Um, <laughs> I think the primary thing that guides me in the universe is wanting to uh, serve love and experience help help consciousness to experience experience as much as possible whether that's my consciousness or other people's consciousness or consciousness itself so trying to basically spread love make the universe more beautiful make experiences more beautiful and that's very abstract so i have a few <laughs> more specific projects for how i'm trying to do that in practice um but one of those is a company called asana which is a software company that helps. We build software that enables teams of people to be able to work together more easily um, and to be able to track their work in a way where they can be accountable and have clarity on what are, what's, all the, what's all the steps between now and accomplishing their goal, what are the details of all the different things in their work that they need to track. And it's used by lots of different companies ranging from you know, uh, tech unicorns like Uber and Airbnb, um, to nonprofits like the Malala Fund, to governmental agencies, basically just lots of different, to me, very exciting organizations who report on average that Asana helps them be 45% more effective in accomplishing their goals than they were before they adopted Asana. So to me, that's really powerful and exciting because the implication that we can help teams of people who are trying to do great things in the world to be able to do that work um, you know, significantly more effectively means we hope that we can be a significant lever, a significant uh, driver of change in um, improving the conditions of life. So we're trying. <laughs> and then have a few other projects as well that I could talk about, but that's a good start. Fantastic. And my understanding is, is that a lot of the design that you guys created there, you were using over at Facebook before. Is that right? Yeah, well, so the origin of the company is that I was a I was a product manager at Google and an engineering lead at Facebook, uh, and inside of Facebook, basically my experience in general at, at those companies, despite the fact that they were some of the best organized companies in the world, was just that we spent an enormous amount of time making sure the left hand knew what the right hand was doing, doing you know, email and meetings and status updates and talking and all this sort of work about work. Um, and so I and Dustin Moskowitz, who was the co-founder of Facebook and was VP of engineering at the time, built an internal tool inside of Facebook, since we couldn't find anything else out there that suited our needs, to help Facebook track its work more effectively. And that really just took off inside of Facebook and felt really clearly like a, a big driver in Facebook being able to accomplish more than it was doing before. And so that inspired us to realize that well, this wasn't a solution that was wasn't a problem or a solution that was unique to Facebook. This was a problem that is universal. In fact, um, literally, the average knowledge worker spends more than 60% of their time not doing work, but doing work about work. 
And so we felt like if we could um, take that solution that we'd set at Facebook and make it real and make it for the world, that that could help organizations all over the world um, in an attempt to kind of like accelerate all the different parts of human progress that are um, basically all human progress requires teamwork. It comes down to teams of humans coming together, aligning their energy in a common direction to accomplish some shared goal. And the mechanics of doing that are still very challenging. So trying to help with those mechanics. Well, we are very grateful that you took that product that you created there at Facebook and have shared it with all of us. It's something that we here at the Conscious Leadership Group, we're using Asana and, and uh, notice that it definitely helps us spend less time okay. doing, doing work on the work. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'd go beyond that. I, I, I wrote a blog a couple of weeks ago. I think it was called Why I Love Asana. Okay. It really, it really, there are two big ideas, but one of them was commitment number six of the 15 commitments is all about living a life of impeccability around agreements. And, you know, Diana and I talk about that, Justin, it's, I know it's a passion of yours. And I said, at some point, you have to come up with a technology to support that. You could have post-it notes all over your, you know, computer screen or whatever, the technology that I've been using since I met you, I think actually before I met you. And we use is Asana. And I just want to put a shout out to everybody. It's an exquisite, simple, multidimensional. It can get as complex as complex can be. It's it's totally customizable. And it's being run by a bunch of people who are really living this work. So I think there's a whole, you know, energetic vibration uh, around the integrity of the whole system that I personally love. As we do this interview, it's all, I'm open to a task where we have our interview questions that people are going to ask. It lives in here. I know how to find it. So big hooray to you for what you guys are up to in the world. It's just fabulous. Thanks, Jim. I really appreciate that. Um, and, and yeah, we we started this project before I had been introduced to CLG. But um, in the course of, of my own going through CLG and meeting you two, it's actually really changed the way I the way, the way that we as a company talk about what Asana's value is, um, and very much in those terms. I now I now talk about it in terms of like, you know, Asana gives you clarity on who is going to do what by when, um, and and it really really just come to see it as a an agreements engine and an engine for a team of people to yeah keep really clear track of what are all the agreements that they've made to each other, in order for them to be impeccable about those in order to be just like much more effective. <laughs> what what was it, Justin, that brought you, I can't remember um, how you came to connect with the Conscious Leadership Group. Um, Leah Perlman, um, who uh, used to work at Facebook with me and since then has done this great series, Dharma Comics, which is just like these very, fun, light, but really deep and insightful uh, comic strips about consciousness and reality. Um, she and I have been kind of spiritual path buddies for a long time, and she just made the recommendation of, she's like, of all the things I've ever tried, of all, of all the different interventions and weird hippie practices, spiritual practices, you <laughs> name it, that I've ever seen, this is the best. You've got to do it. And I was like, that is, that is a strong enough recommendation from someone I trust enough that I will do it. And and she was right. I've I've done, you know, Vipassana, everything from Vipassana to, you know, executive leadership training to 
you know, a whole host of things that some people might not think are in the same bucket. For, but for me, are generally like interventions for personal and professional growth. And I think uh, CLG remains the most bang for buck thing I've ever done. Hmm. What have you noticed that's changed most for you since you got introduced to the 15 commitments and have been practicing them? I think that the some of those just super basic frameworks around um, by me or, or to, to me, by me, through me, as me, and and you know, in other in other words, uh, above and below the line and the drama triangle are are things that like once you see and once you've just had for for me once I saw and once I had just a little practice working with, I just couldn't unsee. <laughs> it just became like a permanent lens. And, and, which is funny because a lot of time, I mean, I've been introduced to so many frameworks in the course of my life and the course of those sorts of, you know, trainings and things. And some of them stick, some of them don't, some of them I remember here and there. Um, but often they feel like, oh, I'm going to really have to practice this. And for some reason, the the frameworks um, that CLG has focused on have for me just been like, one, once I see them, they're just there. <laughs> I can't, can't really not see them. And so... Uh, Oh, you know, if take above and below the line or the drama triangle, like before, I, I just used to, it was pretty easy to get wrapped up into a drama or like see someone in a drama and want to like get pulled into that vortex. And now seeing the structure of it, when someone is below the line or I see myself go below the line, I can just see it, I sort of see it for what it is, which is just some playing out of that structure. And the details of the, you know, the, the the variables that are filled in on who's the, the hero or the or the victim don't seem that important. It just seems like, oh, this is an instantiation of that pattern. And then once I see it that way, I can just like solve it the same way over and over again, of like shifting into a more creative present mindset. And so as a as a person, that's just life changing because now I just like don't spend that much time below the line. I mean, it's a constant practice, of course. But just like gets because it's a structure, it's like any time I succeed in shifting, it feels like that is helpful for the next time that I or someone else am below the line. And then for Asana as a as a company culture, we now put um, we we now offer CLG training as you know since you teach it <laughs> to, <laughs> to to everyone in the company, and just have a program where as new hires start within a few months of starting they'll go through the program and yeah and that's I think just in a very similar way I just hear people all the time <laughs> like above and below the line is so integrated into the vocabulary it doesn't sound like oh there's someone you know cutely referring to that program that we once took it's like no this is like deeply embedded in just the language we use and when things start to go over the line people just mention it in a very light-hearted loving compassionate way and so I think our meetings just like pretty quickly or our conversations, projects just pretty quickly shift into presence and problem solving. Um, it hasn't solved every problem, but it's remarkable how having like common vocabulary, common set of frameworks, um, it's just really game changing. Yeah. So one of the things that I've noticed about you and your culture is that, like you said, we, we started to pay attention to context from where are we having our conversations and now we mm -hmm. can't not see context. That's, that's just the way mm -hmm. we organize ourselves now. So yes, we pay attention to our content, but because the context is something that everybody, and because you've trained everybody, everybody's taking a look at it and have a shared vocabulary to point to it. 
that it's easier than for you all to notice when there is a, a way that people are speaking or interacting from a place of fear and you're able to address that and shift it much more quickly. Right. And my basically as soon as I came out of my first training, it was, just, it was like a three-day training with, with the two of you, um, I was just immediately like, oh, I can't. I was like, I can't go back to work now without having this as a shared vocabulary. I was like, I will be too frustrated um, <laughs> by being in situations where I can't just like point out this this, this structure, this context. Um, and that was really what inspired wanting to like share that. I mean, I think there's lighter weight ways we could share it, and then actually having um, you know you come and train people, but but having some baseline shared shared vocabulary just at this point feels essential. Yes, and one of the things people ask sometimes is, what happens if you you have a shared vocabulary amongst a culture and then you bring in new people? How does that feel for them? And one of the things that I've noticed is that sometimes somebody's been at Asana for two or three months before they're able to come to one of my one-day events or two-day events with you with them, and yet they already have integrated the, the, the conversation, the, the language, they've already been starting to practice and they say it's pretty easy to, to jump in and understand how everybody's using this language and be able to do it as well, even though they hadn't had the training, which has been really exciting for me to see because we've been, you know, that we've been experimenting around with this. And so it seems that because so many of you all are using the language, it's easy to assimilate. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sometimes a bit of a joke among new hires of like, what, what are all these weird words people are using? Um, and we could probably do a better job of onboarding people on the, the language itself. But I, th I think what's exciting, and one of the things that has been one of the most pleasant surprises about, about culture generally, this is not specific to to the CLG stuff, is that once you get to a certain size and momentum of and strength of culture and strength of social norms, it's very self-reinforcing. And so we do do trainings, but it's remarkable the extent to which people just like come into the culture and then sort of, as long as they're open to it, automatically take on a lot of the values and norms. Because um, people often, when they're, you know, when they come here for the first time and they see there's just kind of this very common way that people interact with each other. People are unusually, I mean, as basic as like people smile at each other in a way that's kind of unusual for a corporate office. Um, people are just like very respectful, very optimistic, very looking for shared solutions, looking for ways that to, to benefit the organization as a whole rather than, you know, maybe like their sub team or their private interests. Um, and people often ask like, wow, do you, do you rigorously interview for these traits? Um, because like you that you must be because how could it be that you have such uniformity in how people you know the level of maturity and how people deal with each other and no we we certainly you know would like make sure not to hire someone who was like wildly closed to this way of working um, I don't think they'd apply in the first place but I think we attract people because we're so public about our culture we end up attracting people who are open-minded to it. And then once you're open-minded to it, when, once you're inside of the environment, the culture just kind of like seeps into people, is what I've heard people say. Um, the, in sociology, there's um, the fundamental attribution error, which is this idea that we generally, when we 
talk to a person, we, we generally over attribute someone's behavior and personality to stable characteristics about them instead uh, and under attribute it to the environment that they're in, um, which is as individuals can kind of be a scary thought that we're, we're much more the people we surround ourselves with and the environments we put ourselves in than we like to, than we like to think. Um, but the plus side of that is that if you can create strong cultures that are really healthy, then you put people in them and everyone can kind of operate really, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the culture actually informs people and allows them to be, what I see is um, people are attracted to your culture because they are longing to be with a group of people who are letting go of drama and more interested in right. creating solutions. Um, so to your point, they likely wouldn't come there if they wanted drama and wanted to be caught up in their victimhood. But to the extent that they might get stuck, the culture really supports shifting. Yeah. And this is even true for myself. Like, I really enjoy being in this culture because I know, you know, I'm also I'm also human and would probably also end up uh, going below the line if, if I, a lot more if I didn't have a supportive community in my life that was also trying to help achieve, you know, where we're all, all kind of working together to achieve this. I think people would be really interested to hear, because Asana has been so devoted to educating everybody around the 15 commitments, and the culture does have, um, I would say, a devotion to practicing more so than many, what would you say has most surprised you um, about the results of all of that? Maybe what I just said, that the the extent to which it just um, causes where people become part of it even before they have a formal understanding of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe the other thing is, off the top of my head, one one of the best things about the training has been around candor. Um, and just creating these strong social norms around candor. I, I think this is, I, I almost want to answer that my, my, my two surprises are both how well candor works and how challenging it has been. I think, I think candor is probably the, the most difficult thing to achieve in my experience because telling people, you know, t- telling someone that you, you don't like their work or don't like something they're doing or telling someone that you're angry or sad about something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I think, so deeply discouraged in our culture and is, uh, has risen to a level of being so frightening that even though I feel, I feel like we're just constantly repeating, you can, you can talk about things. And in particular, like you can talk to me and Dustin about you know, problems you're having and, and concerns you have. It's amazing how much, even even though I feel like we're constantly saying that, it's very hard to get people to believe us or, 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 or it's very hard for people to act on that. And we often end up hearing things, you know, through the grapevine that someone has this concern or someone's unhappy in this way. And then we'll, we'll work through it. But it's just like, I don't have a good answer to, <laughs> how, to get, how to get better at it. It just seems like... I just, feel like we, I just feel like we put a lot of effort into continually trying to create an environment that feels psychologically safe, mm-hmm. where as much as possible people feel comfortable sharing, uh, sh- sharing, yeah, sharing concerns, sharing feelings, sharing negativity, you know, in, in a way that's constructive. Um, on the flip side, though, 
when people do it, you know, especially when they're scared to do it, I've been amazed how well it works. Where I actually can't think of a single example where it turned into where, where like genuine, uh, genuine candor, where someone was speaking un- unarguably. I can't think of any examples where that led to something blowing up or something really unfortunate happening. It's basically always led, even if initially to some discomfort, led relatively quickly to resolution and and everyone feeling, oh, I'm so glad I said that. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Because it just puts it out in the open and we can face truth as it is and then work through to figure out what we want to change in order to be in alignment with our mission. Mm-hmm. Well, I think... I think what's happening there is happening is normal everywhere, which is candor is vulnerable and candor feels like a threat to the ego or the identity. And so we're still all learning how to have more candor. And to your point, when we do, it reliably tends to create a valuable outcome. Mm-hmm. Do you have any feedback for other leaders who are considering bringing the 15 commitments and the, the work of the Conscious Leadership Group into their organizations? Any suggestions, or especially since you've had some experience now, anything you could share that yeah. would allow them? Um, you know, I think doing it in a structured way where people can really feel like this is a program that we're rolling out and we're collectively as an organization, you know, uh, I, I guess I'm saying rather than treating it like this is a workshop and then, you know, it's a container and once the container's over, we stop thinking about it, saying, no, this is a a way of working that we're rolling out. Um, and 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 way to do that is to, like, just keep both talking the talk and walking the talk. So continually using the vocabulary, um, I mean, either either the specific words or just generally, like, language that refers to that, that general way of thinking, those general ways of thinking, and then continuing to, as leaders, operate oneself that way is obviously critical to, to demonstrate that real commitment, because it's very, the, the difference between saying, work now a culture that's committed to candor, and being a culture that's committed to candor is like the difference between being, you know, Enron, <laughs> being... <laughs> And, and being a functional company, right? Like, it, there, there's so there's so much lip service to things like transparency and values in corporate America that simply talking about it can fall very, very flat and hypocritical. Um, so actually putting oneself out there, being vulnerable in public context. Um, you know, I go out of my way to, like, say kind of almost uncomfortably vulnerable things from myself at all-hands meetings. Um, things that just like kind of <laughs> I think surprise people like, whoa, I really I really didn't think I would hear the leadership team say that. Really not sure I even wanted to hear them say that. <laughs> but it but it's just like but but you know, being really uh, honest about like I'm really sad. I like feel really down about the fact that this project didn't succeed. I don't blame anyone, but it's just like it's been making me really sad. Those 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 sorts of vulnerable statements I feel like can go a long way in making people be like, Well, if if that if if the leader of the company just got up and said that in front of everyone, I can probably do a smaller version of that day to day in in my own work. I'm I really appreciate that about you, Justin. Is how willing you are to get vulnerable, and I've seen you do it when I've been there uh, with the teams, and 
I do think that that is one of the most important things leaders can do is to walk the talk and push your own. One of the things I heard you say is, I push my own edges so that, because if I'm going to ask them to push theirs, I've got to let them see that I'm pushing mine. And that's, that's really, um, it's courageous. Uh, I deeply appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually like in politics, there's the Overton window. Right, which is the this this window of discourse where you know when someone like Bernie Sanders goes way to the left, that just like opens up territory for <laughs> for, for for moderates to go more to the left because they still look moderate next to Bernie. Right, <laughs> so it's like there's sort of a similar like vulnerability window where the more vulnerable you are as a leader, the more space that gives people to you know look only moderately vulnerable. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But but still be more vulnerable than they would otherwise have been. <laughs> That's a I love that frame. Great. Last question. Mm-hmm. Which commitment would you say has been the most influential or has helped you shift the most in your own life? Hmm. Why? Look up the list of commitments. Um, or it could be a concept. If you don't know the, the specific con- commitment, that's fine. I think probably 100% responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, just that framing of like, and and <laughs> sometimes I, I can't tell whether uh you take it to a mystical extreme that I maybe don't subscribe to of like, I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I am totally like living in the matrix and <laughs> completely constructing my reality. <laughs> there are, I don't, I don't, I don't feel a hundred percent responsible for the laws of physics. I don't feel a hundred percent responsible for uh, the, politi- the geopolitical situation in the world that I was born into. But I do feel like uh, as, as a concept has been introduced into my life and as I've meditated on it more and more, there's a lot of things that it just wouldn't have occurred to me I, that I can be responsible for that actually, oh, I can just step into my, my creator role and I can change that. Like, I don't have to be, I don't have to take this structure as it is. I don't have to assume this relationship it needs to be the way it is or has to exist at all. Just like uh, thinking more and more about like that I'm more in control of my life than I realize has just been powerful and surprising to so many places where I'm like, oh, yeah, I can totally take responsibility for that and change it. Yeah, and I want to make a distinction because you bring up a really great point. When we say take responsibility, it doesn't mean that I am the cause of it. In other words, I don't hold that Mm. I'm the cause of the current political discourse in America, but I can look at the level of that discourse and say, am I willing to take responsibility and look at my life and see where I'm not listening deeply or where I'm asserting stories as though they're facts or where I'm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a level of taking responsibility without having to see myself as the cause of the reality that's out there. So I like that's a good distinction that you're making when you say (laughs) you can't go all the way to seeing yourself as the cause of the laws of physics. I get that totally. Right. But but you know but but I but I actually think uh, that that thinking this way has allowed me to take responsibility for things outside of myself to a greater extent mm-hmm. than I realized was possible. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I just want to thank you so much, Justin, for all of the ways that I do see you um, bringing more mindfulness and consciousness into the world by role modeling what it looks like to start to create a conscious culture. And um, I, de- I certainly see Asana as one of the forefront companies in the country that I'm aware of that is doing all kinds of things, not just things with CLG, but all kinds of other things that you all are committed to, uh, to create uh, an environment where people are deeply engaged, feel connected, have a lot of energy, uh, and feel creative in their thinking. Those are the things that reliably people at Asana tell me they experience um, by being in your culture. So thank you so much for your commitment to being a conscious leader in the world. My pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Justin, if people, um, I mean, like I think you guys have one of the great blogs out there, but so I, I would encourage people to sign up, get it, read it. It's fabulous. Any other ways they can learn about what you guys are up to or how you're being in the world, anything else that's available to people? I think the blog is, is gonna, it's the best place to start. And we post a lot yep. of links there, you know, uh, following us on Twitter. But the, the blog, if you go through the backlog, is pretty extensive. You can yeah. go to a like tag, there's a culture tag and you can see all the culture posts. And we're also um gonna be releasing something in the next few months that I'll just tease, but <laughs> something in the next few months that will uh, go go into this sort of content even more deeply. Oh, oh exciting. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I may have said too much already. <laughs> uh thank you very much. Thank you.